Hi there, I'm Pastor Rod Parsley, and I sure want to thank you for listening to today's podcast. I'm the senior pastor of World Harvest Church, where we love God and love people, and I hope you'll be inspired by today's message. Now, for more great content and lots of updates, I'd love to connect with you online at rodparsley.com. But right now, let's head into today's episode. Well, I hope you're ready for another great message, I believe, from our eight-part series, Effective Leadership 300, exploring practical and biblical tactics to connect you to your purpose in Christ and the leadership role God is preparing for you. Now, don't forget to request your digital study guide. You can do that at rodparsley.com slash leadership 300 so you can follow along with me or review the material when you finish listening. Praise the Lord, everybody, 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 everybody. Praise the Lord, 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 praise the Lord. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. Everybody up. Let's bless the Lord together. Father, we give you this time. We honor you for it. We thank you for the skills and the giftings and the purposes that you place within our hearts. Help us to use all of our giftings and all of our talents and all of our anointings to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ successfully to those around us more than anything else. In Jesus' name, that the Lamb of God slain may receive the reward of his suffering and that the jewel of a soul may be placed in the crown of our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody with enthusiasm shouted, glory. glory! All right, here we go. Grammar lesson number one. Survey says, the difference in commonly used words, conscious and conscience. So let's, uh, we, here, here's the sentence. We need to remain conscious while listening to pastor so you can use your conscience to give good advice. Got the difference? Got it? Conscious, conscience. Your first quote tonight, I think there's only one quality worse than hardness of heart, and that is softness of head. That was Theodore Roosevelt. Your first scripture tonight, Mark 16, 14. Afterward, he, Jesus, appeared to the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. So let me give you a little something. I always like to give you something from Gideon, Judges chapter 6 and 7. Tonight, Judges chapter 6 and verse 33 to verses 33 to 40. Here's where your Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. It actually means that he wore him like a garment, that God actually wrapped Gideon around himself and wore him like a garment. The Spirit that is now in you needs to not remain in you, but at times and in seasons, come upon you. Raise your hands and say, come upon me. 
Yeah, you, you, without his spirit, you are none of his. Uh, you're born again. You have his spirit. You are baptized in his spirit, hopefully. You are baptized in fire. But there are those times when you need the supernatural ability of God called the anointing to come upon you. Throw your hands up and say, I need it upon me. Gideon sounded a trumpet, and if you bear, if you read all of Judges 6 and 7, you'll find out not everybody came, but somebody came. Shove your neighbor on the shoulders and say, I'm a somebody. Now shove him on the other side and say, I'm a whosoever. Somebody showed up. You showed up here. So you are cut above. You are in here, you here are here in effective leadership 300. You are not like others. You are not the same as. You are not also ran. You are not just part of the herd. You're the head of the class. Now just put your hands together and say, yes, I am. Come on, distinguish yourself a little bit. God distinguishes you. The Bible says that God gave certain gifts distinguishings of the spirit. You are distinguished, my brother and sister. So just square your shoulders and stick your chin out and make your backbone like a T-rail because you happen to be a somebody. You are a whosoever. You are a cut above. You are the first and not the last. You are above and not beneath. You're at the head of the line. You're the head, not the tail. You are the exclusive remnant believer of Jesus Christ in the earth today and God full well intends to use you for dramatic purposes. God has always had a people. He's always had a Shadrach, a Meshach, and Abednego. He's always had a David, a Daniel, a Samson, a Samuel. God has always had a group of people that he, God, refused to allow to become a part of the status quo individuals or leaders of their day. You are not only a leader, you are a leader of leaders. You are serving the king of kings. So who's he the king of? He's the king of all us kings. All we kings, hallelujah. Anyone who's ever played the sleepover game telephone, anybody ever played it? Now, I mean with, with, you know, dignity played it. You never played, if you've ever played the telephone game, wave your hand. Okay, maybe you don't call it the telephone game. It's where you line up a line of people and the first one says something in the ear of the second one and then you get to find out what, what you think was said by the time you get to the 10th person because what came out as a feather ends up a turkey. Do you understand? And so you know that communication can at times, most of the time in actuality, be very, very difficult. As a leader, the responsibility for communication lies squarely on your shoulders. Not only as you speak, but also you are responsible for what one hears. Oh, you didn't like that. Okay, here we go with personal responsibility now. I said the leader is not only responsible for being the, the, the responsible person, if you will, in communication because he's the one speaking or she's the one speaking or they are the one speaking, but rather because you are also responsible for what is heard. 
Say, I'm responsible. Right now, I take responsibility for what is said, and I also take responsibility for what is heard. Uh, we are going to deal tonight with interpersonal communication, and uh, I need you to understand that communicating effectively often is a matter of life and death. Communicating effectively is a matter of life and death. Let's take my occupation if, or, or yours because we're all responsible to communicate the gospel. Let's say we improperly communicate the gospel so that the gospel which is communicated becomes not a gospel at all but another gospel. Then you know what happens? People that believe another gospel because we communicated it falsely end up in hell. You are not only responsible to communicate for what's said, but also you're responsible for what is heard. Shout, yes, I am. We want to talk tonight about interpersonal communication with a focus on the most vital skill you can possess. Shout, this is it. This is the apex. This is the crescendo. This is the creme de la creme. This is it. It is this, listening. Oh, you just shut me down right there. Listening, 1 Corinthians 14. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. As I shared, the responsibility for communicating lies squarely on the shoulders of the person who is leading. Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord, Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Shout yes. yes. This verse is a call to excellence in everything that we do. In everything that we do. In the context of Paul's message to the believers at Colossae, it's an exhortation to live in a manner consistent with who Jesus is and what Jesus wants and how those who identify with him should conduct themselves. Do you believe that? Now, whether you're considering face-to-face -face conversation, a staff meeting, or a worldwide television broadcast, all communication consists of seven basic elements. You ready for them? Number one, there is a sender. That's the initiator of a message. The sender may be, at times, acting on behalf of another. They may be acting on behalf of their employer. Uh, a student may be acting on behalf of their teacher. You may be acting on behalf of your pastor. Secondly, there is a receiver. That's the one who is intended to be the recipient of the message. Now there are tons of failures of communication that occur when the sender does not define the receiver well. Oh, I just said a mouthful. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just back it up because I'm gonna say it again. I'm gonna say it again and it's easier for me to find it there than here. Well, I'll find it here then. Uh, Failures in communication often occur when the sender does not define 
the receiver. They don't know enough about the receiver or they assume things about the receiver that are not true. Teacher, know thy student. Speaker, know your audience. You cannot, you cannot, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna break it down, I'm gonna stay with it. Number three, there is the message. That's the content of the communication. The content of the communication or what is to be communicated. Number four, there is the channel or the medium or the media through which that message is communicated. It's the means, if you will, by which the message is delivered from the sender to the receiver. And that medium or media or channel must be appropriate for the message and for the receiver. What am I talking about? Uh, well, I, let me break this one down just a little bit for you. You have to know whom, to whom you are speaking. Let's say I've got a Dominion camp meeting coming up. And I want to communicate about Dominion Camp Meeting. And so I tell our esteemed uh, Breakthrough Television Department, I need a 60-second video spot about Dominion Camp Meeting. And so they go make one. And in it, they've got me... <laughs> And then I tell them, this is a 60 second spot to run during Fox News. Inappropriate. But let's say I'm gonna run that spot on TBN or the Word Network. Now TBN, I do it like this. Word network, gonna do it like this. Why? I know my audience. But if they made the wrong one, I'm responsible because I should have communicated who the audience is and I should have made sure that the receiver of the message I was giving clearly understood what I was saying because obviously they didn't. Do you understand? Now, let's take it out of my context and let's talk about your five-year-old. Or not. Or your 14-year-old. Or let's talk about your offensive line. Coach? You understand? Oh, come on. I'm... Okay. Number five. I'm being restrained. Noise. Number five is noise. This is anything that interferes with the message being transmitted from the sender to the receiver effectively. It can be literal noise. You ever try to communicate in a crowded room when everybody's talking? I promise you, you're not going to communicate effectively. It can be literal noise, but often it's not. 
Many leaders, many communicators create their own noise ah, with ineffective delivery and improper grammar. Now you're mad at me. I tried to watch something on television the other day. In actuality, it was a preacher. And I, I just thought to myself, how much better a communicator they would be if they used third grade grammar. I have English teachers sitting right over here. And you know what? You can take an English class online. We communicate with words. And, and you're never going to be an effective communicator without mastering words. God is the word. Yes? You're never going to be able to totally eliminate noise in communication, but you have to do everything in your power to control noise. What you can... What, what can you do uh, to give yourself the best chance of being heard and understood? In other words, if you want to communicate something to your 14-year-old and they've got an earbud in one ear and the television's going over here and mom's running the mixer over there, do you think you're going to be able to effectively communicate what you want to tell your 14-year-old? No, you have to do your best. You can't always do it to the optimum, but try, attempt to control the noise in the environment. Six, feedback. Oh, how important this is. Feedback. A message about the message. That's what feedback is. It's a message about the message. It's a question. It's a nonverbal cue that indicates understanding. Note-taking even falling asleep, all tell the sender of the message something about whether or not the receiver has understood the message. When I'm in here on Sunday morning and I've got leaders on the front two rows doing this, I think sometimes we need to put a rail on the front row just to keep them in there. Well, that's telling me something, isn't it? It's telling me that I'm not effectively communicating, right? It's telling me that we should have Red Bull machines in the foyers. Oh, cappuccino, right? It's telling me we didn't sanctify ourselves on Saturday night, but stayed up watching football till 1230. Yeah? So you just receive all kinds. See, I'm receiving right now feedback. Some of you are doing this. Some of you are doing this. I even saw someone doing this. <laughs> right? So I'm getting cues, aren't I? Of whether or not the message is, uh, is being communicated effectively. Feedback is the only way that you know whether or not you've been effective. And you often must craft the message based on the type of feedback you're seeking. 
The feedback that I seek in here is a whole lot different than the feedback I was seeking from the audience in the Breakthrough Studio Tuesday night when I was doing a Word Network live broadcast for two hours. It's a completely different form of feedback. And if I'm looking in here for you to, you know, a well-placed amen is wonderful in the right setting. However, if you're taking notes and really, really trying to listen, this is something my wife taught me early on in ministry because I was always looking for the same response. And she said, what you don't understand, oh, my dear little husband, is that when they're the most quiet, they are listening the most effectively. That's pretty good advice, isn't it? Oh, stop it. Okay. I'm going to parenthetically insert this because we have about 300 people on staff here and, and some of us receive, uh, there was a Saturday, a Friday and a Saturday, about a 24-hour period over those two days, some portion of those two days, where I received 300 emails. There are several people on my staff that routinely receive that many emails. So what I do not allow our team to do is to sit in a meeting and say, well, I sent you an email. Because an email sent does not a communication equate. A text message sent. And by the way, you don't have to answer every text message that dings on your phone the minute it dings. It's the most intrusive thing in our entire culture. People can't even concentrate anymore for five minutes without ding, 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 ding. And do you, do you know, I'm going to slip this in now. Do, do you know why? Now watch, watch me. Don't get mad at me. Do you know why people are constantly, <laughs> sorry, because it gives you a feeling of empowerment and importance that you're so important that I can't talk to you right now because everybody wants me. You didn't have to read. I don't like that feedback. When you don't receive any feedback to a message you've sent, always follow up to make sure the message was received and that the message was understood. So it's only in a communication if, if, if someone, I, I don't allow our team to say, well, pastor, I sent you a text. My first question back to you is going to be what? Did I respond to it? Because if I responded to it, then I'm responsible for it. But if I didn't respond to it, maybe Joni and I are enjoying some time together. I think I remember that. And maybe I turned my iPhone off. Because maybe you weren't a part of our communication. Right? Okay. This is good, isn't it? It's not the harbor's fault if the ship misses it. You ought to write that down. That's worth writing down right there. I wrote it down. I got it right here. It's not the harbor's fault if the ship misses it. Take the initiative. 
communicate again. Try a different channel. We make a lot of phone calls here at the ministry. And I'll say, all right, you had 100 phone calls. How many did you make? Oh, called everyone. No, wait, no, wait. We're not communicating successfully. Do you mean you spoke to everyone or you dialed 100 numbers? Oh, well, I mean, we dialed 100 numbers. Well, that's not a communication. How many of them did you speak to? What was the response? What was the feedback? Well, we got, I got 22 of them. Okay, you made 22%. The numbers would tell us that you should have connected with 48%. So now what are you going to do? Stop or back up and say, hmm, I made those calls at five o'clock in the evening. Perhaps I should try at seven. If you just go back and try again at five, as my daddy would say, you're not very wide between the eyes. You're not very intelligent. It's unintelligent to continue to do the same thing the same way over and over and expect a different result. Okay, anyway. Okay, you having fun? Which one am I? What, 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 what number am I on? Give me feedback. <laughs> Listen, communicate again. To make sure that a critical message is delivered. People on the autism spectrum, which now is about one boy out of every 60 in the United States of America, do not take visual or verbal cues well. They don't, that part of the connection in their neurological system makes them unable to understand that when you say no and you're smiling, you actually mean yes. We take all kinds of visual and verbal cues, you understand? And so you, you, you may think that you've communicated one thing, but you've communicated something entirely different. So you have to, you have to find that out. Number seven, number seven is context. That's other factors that influence the effectiveness of the message including how it is received and understood. Imagine a person standing up in a crowded room and shouting, fire! In a crowded room. Well, the context of that speech determines the audience's response. If I go to the local theater and I'm watching Gone with the Wind, and suddenly I stand up and shout, fire! I'm going to cause a panic. But if I'm in here on Sunday morning and I shout, fire! That means something entirely different, doesn't it? So context, right, is important. Context. Uh, good communicators learn as much about the context as they possibly can before communicating critical information. If you have a group of students in your class and you don't know their background and you don't know, you're using all sorts of metaphors and illustrations about how a father should deal with his family and, blah, blah, and you're talking to a classroom of students that 70% of them do not have a father in the home. So you're, you're just missing everything. If I, if I go to Sweden, as I used to do two and three times a year, 
to preach great crusades there in Sweden and Norway and Finland. If I, if I went there without learning the context of those people, something about their language, I, I would be a very ineffective communicator. For instance, I might, I might want to say, you know, and, and uh, the glorious, flowing, magnificent, ethereal, and the, and the interpreter keeps saying the same word. I say ethereal, and he says, shuminumi. And I say glorious, and he says, shuminumi. Because the Swedish language is not a descriptive language. So for something that we might have 10 words for, they only have one. Do you understand? So you have to learn the context. A leader communicating into, a, or, or coming into a new position should not be ignorant about the predecessor's relationship with those people. Is that all right? You're coming into a new situation on, on your job, a very good thing for you to do would be to find out what the relationship with the closest three people to the person you're replacing was like. Because they're gonna interpret every kind of action that you have through the veil or through the lens of your predecessor. You understand? So you have to learn about it. Cultural and generational differences within a group and between a sender and receiver are significant factors in communicating. Significant factors in communicating. You have to account for them just as you have to account, account for differences in personality types. Uh, too often we think a well-written email to every member of the congregation will communicate effectively, but there are some members that are technologically challenged. Others that are like so over emails and others that simply don't read well. So we should never assume that everyone receives information in the same way. We, we have a very large mailing list here at the ministry. At times, uh, upwards of Three and a half million, five million names. Well, do we think that all of those people receive communication the same way? Well, we wouldn't be very intelligent, and I can tell you this, we wouldn't still be in business if we thought that way. Wouldn't still be in business. Most letters, any of you ever receive a letter from me? Hold your hand up. Hold it up. For every one, hold your hand up. For every one of those letters, there are usually a minimum of 14 different versions. The letter he got is not the same as the letter she got. And the letter she got is not the same as the letter she got. There are all sorts of criteria that make up how we would divide that list and communicate to different people. You understand? So I have to learn those things. Far more response to a text Let's say I want to communicate something, and I want to communicate mainly to Valor Christian College students. I have a choice, a phone call, an e a letter, 
or a text message? I'm going to send a text message. Why? That's my audience. They're not going to look at a letter. Are you kidding me? However, if I want to communicate to Mother Parsley, I can text till my little fingers fall off. And I'm going to get no response. Far more response to an email to people my age, far more response to a snail mail letter to folks Mother Parsley's age. They vary also based on geographical information, age information. We make a different version of the breakthrough broadcast, and I'm only using the scope of my work. We make a different version of a breakthrough broadcast depending on which network it's being sent on. Don't just make one, one size fits all. Mother Parsley was in Singapore. Anybody ever been to Singapore? Okay, if you're three foot, five inches tall, you look down on everybody. The people are very small. Well, Mother Parsley, five foot eight. And Mother Parsley wanted to go shopping. And she couldn't find anything for her 36 inch inseam, right? Three feet of inseam. And she's talking about, you know, she's talking to this little store clerk and he's, right? And Mother Parsley got frustrated and she finally said, do you have anything in this store that will fit me? And he says, oh, no problem. We have a one size of fit everybody. And he held it up and said, except you. <laughs> now, this suggests that a, a, that a communication is a linear process taking place according to defined series of steps. Communication is anything but that. Communication is a dynamic process with senders and receivers initiating messages, giving feedback continually. Senders, good ones, adjust their message and sometimes even the channel that they're communicating in midstream. They'll change. How? Why? Based on the feedback that they're receiving. At times during a service, I'll change the channel. I changed the channel this morning. I had the channel set. But suddenly, I felt God say there was something else to do. So what did I do? Change the channel. If I had stayed on the same channel, in all probability, the message that I had prepared to deliver would have been terrible. And, and very poorly received. I had to change the channel. Say change the channel. Grammar lesson number two, defining frequently misused words. Impede means to slow the movement, to slow the progress or the reaction of something. Let me give you an example. Sin is anything, John Wesley's mother told him. Sin is anything that impedes the tenderness of your conscience. Your second quote, renewing your mind is a viable and real process. Those who succeed in life have a healthy self-image and those who fail have poor self-images. One of the best friends I ever had has gone to heaven now, Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole. Scripture number two, Ephesians 4.24, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Wish I had time to preach, I don't. Number three, 
The most critical skill any leader can master is listening. James 1.19, let every person be, oh, underline it. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Proverbs 18.13, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame. Were you ever in a conversation with anybody and you just got so frustrated, you just said, would you let me finish my sentence before you jump in and, and respond to what you think I'm saying? Because what, you, what you're responding has nothing to do with what I'm saying. We don't let people finish their sentences, much less their thoughts. One of the biggest challenges of face-to-face -face communication is that most of us would rather talk than listen. Most of us are not interested in anyone else's opinion about anything. At the base level, we're really not interested. I learned this not only from my parents, but from my pastor and mentor. He asked me once, I was in a room. Uh, great men were there. Great men and women were there. And I was about 22, 23 years old. I was the main speaker that night. There were 8,000 pastors there. And in the room afterwards, with all of these great men and women of God in the beautiful China, I barely uttered a word. And so my pastor, as he so often did, sat me down at his desk afterwards, and he said, you were very quiet while we were eating. I said, yes, sir. He said, why? You just gave a great message. I said, well, I already knew everything I was going to say. I already knew everything I was going to say. If you're in the presence of greatness, with all due respect, button it up. The reason we do that is because we try to impress others. We try to validate ourselves. And so we miss. Did anyone ever hear me tell a little illustration called put it back. If you did, raise your hand. Put it back. Brother Summerall, will this help you maybe? Put, Brother Summerall was in Central America. He came across a witch doctor. Now, you getting it? How many of you ever heard me tell it? And the witch, his bed moved out and he said, put it back. Do you know that to my knowledge, my wife and I are the only two people out of 3,500 people that were in a room that heard that? It happened before a service. Now, my pastor was never one to let a service be wasted. His opinion was, when you have a majority of the people there that are coming, start. <laughs> it didn't matter to him. He, if the service was at 7, he'd start at 625. It didn't matter to him. You listening? He said, if I got him there, I might as well say something. And he gave that illustration while everybody else was moving around. And nobody caught it but I wrote it down and I've blessed millions of people with it. Amen? 
So when you're in a room, you kind of already know what you know, don't you? So wouldn't you like to make it an opportunity to learn something you don't know? When you see people, two people talking, what's often going on is not one two-way conversation. <laughs> it's two one-way conversations. <laughs> Austin, Austin uh, often perseverates. Um, what does that mean? Well, he'll memorize an entire hour video in 15 minutes. And after he does that, uh, the way his mind works, he needs to go through that again. He needs to say all that again because it's like a moving picture in his mind and he can't make it stop midway. He has to start at one point and end at another point. And so he perseverates a lot. Well, Mr. Parsley, now gone to heaven, had a bit of a hearing problem, like a big hearing problem. And they made just the perfect pair to converse. And we would often sit and we would watch them. And Mr. Parsley would just be now, bud, uh, we're going and we'll go fishing and we'll, um, and Austin is saying, and the cow jumped over the moon and it, and they're just, just going at it and neither of them carrying one ounce what the other was talking about. In reality, that's the way most conversations are. They're not one two-way conversation, doctor. They are two one-way conversations. We wait for the other person to shut up so we can jump in and show everybody how intelligent we are. Usually, all we do is give expression to our ignorance. The better part of valor is discretion. Shakespeare. The better part of valor is discretion. Americans say discretion is a better part of valor. It's actually a misquotation. Shakespeare said it the way I just quoted it. And what it means is sometimes just pipe off and listen. God, God, gave, God gave us two ears, one mouth. A mouth that closes and ears that don't. Do you think he created us to be speakers or listeners? Listeners. Listeners. There are four main approaches to listening. Each one is better than the one before it. Number one, there's the passive approach. That's where the listener gives eye contact and verbal cues. <laughs> But in their mind, they're in Switzerland. You ever talk to folks like that? The whole time you're talking, they're just, and they, they're in Ireland. Because you say, okay, now what did I say? Oh, well, uh, and they start an Irish clog or something. Basically, the way we learn to listen is this. Sit down and shut up. That's basically the way we learn to listen. The result is one-way communication with little effort to connect with the speaker's message. S secondly, the selective approach is a little better. Hearing what you want to hear, <laughs> both regarding the subject matter as well as who's speaking and how the message is presented. 
The listener shuts down when the subject matter becomes uncomfortable or when someone who turns them off is speaking. It's a little difficult to avoid, but revelation is this. People that annoy you have insight too. They can teach you things too. First elder we had at this church was a gentleman named, by the name of Ken Ross. I was about 21, 22 at the time. We were in the 180 seat building. And I noticed him constantly staring out. We had windows. That's why I didn't put any in here. We had windows and, and beautiful windows and beautiful cornfields all around us. And I noticed the whole time I preached, he stared out the window. And I finally asked him once, why? Do you stare out the window the whole time I'm preaching? He said, because I refuse to believe that anybody your age is saying what you're saying. And he said, if I look at you, I turn it off because of your age. So I choose to stare out the window. And I said, keep staring. <laughs> David Ring is a very hard individual to listen to. What, does anybody know what his cerebral palsy? Very difficult to listen to, but if you listen, you will never be the same. Dave Reaver, who lost most of his face and hands in an explosion of napalm in Vietnam. Sometimes very difficult to look at and listen to. But if you do, you'll be changed forever. Third, the attentive approach. This person focuses on the facts. It's good, but you need to keep in mind that nonverbal cues can comprise up to two-thirds of the meaning of any, any interpersonal communication. Nonverbal cues. Things that aren't said are saying more than, in a conversation, the words that are being said. Nonverbal cues. Again, I, I hate to keep coming back to the autism spectrum uh, disorder. However, people with autism, they don't understand. We, we had to take a picture of a smiling face and we had to help Austin understand that when people were smiling, that meant something. Because the way their mind is wired, that doesn't mean anything. That's why they like inanimate things more than people. Because you say one thing, but your face says something different. And so that's confusing. And we do that to each other a lot because it's my personal belief that about 95% of people are on the spectrum somewhere. I certainly am. Uh, often the speaker's tone of voice, posture, gesture, gestures can override the words that are being spoken. Attentive listeners tend to gloss over the emotions that are present in an encounter, and that's to their detriment. The fourth is the active approach. It shows patience. It includes verbal and physical feedback. It acknowledges emotions. It removes doubt from the conversation. You know that you're understanding the speaker. You need to hold off assumptions and expect to learn something. Avoid being quick to offer advice when you're listening. Oh, I wish, I, I better slow down right there. 
Be very slow to offer advice when you're supposed to be listening. Men, learn it. Or you will never be an effective communicator with women. They don't want you to fix it. They want you to, Dr. Murphy, they want you to listen. And Carolyn said, yes, Jesus. But we all need to do that. We need to exercise patience. We need to control our own emotions so that we can listen. We need to eliminate physical distractions, physical barriers, control the environment so that we can listen. Sometimes it's best to do so purposely so the speaker understands that you're listening. Are you enjoying? Give me feedback. <laughs> Let me catch up to myself here. Oh, I'm doing well here. Oh, here we are. Uh, when you're listening, be respectful. If your superior at work's going over something with you and you don't particularly like what's being said, please don't do this. What do you want to do when your children do that? My dad would say, don't you look at me and roll those eyes like some kind of dying calf. The key to good listening is to make an encounter with someone else about them. It's about them. I've been interviewed by a lot of people. I was telling one of our team here this morning, I did over 1,000 interviews with media sources in 18 months. Over 1,000. The greatest interviewer that I ever had the privilege of being with was a suspender-wearing, necktie, no-jacket guy that sat at a desk with a microphone sitting at the end of the desk. Anybody remember him? His name was Larry King. What you didn't know, and I found out, was behind that desk he had on old blue jeans. <laughs> so he put a suit on. <laughs> I said, Larry, why do you have half a suit on? He said, they never show me below the waist. <laughs> I believe that he was probably the greatest interviewer uh, many people say that, that, that was ever on television at least. And so I asked him, why is it so easy for you to talk to just anybody at all? He said, because people are so interested in themselves. I said, what do you mean? He said, everybody loves to talk about themselves. So I just move out of the way and ask them a question that leads them to talk about themselves. When's the last time you looked at your wife and said, I'm just, in your mind, said, I'm just going to be quiet for the next five minutes and I'm just going to let her talk. I'm going to ask her a question about her or vice versa, ladies. 
Let me give you some pitfalls to good listening. Me tooism. Oh. You ever, you ever, were you ever around people? Well, I broke my leg last week. Well, I broke too. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And everybody has a tendency to do it. Well, I went to Georgia. Well, one time I went to Florida. That's me tooism. You're not listening. You're not listening. Or this one. I know exactly how you feel. No, you don't. One of the greatest things Joni ever taught me again was when we're talking about difficulty with our children, to say to folks, I don't ask you to understand, I just ask you to be understanding. You're not gonna understand because you don't live in my shoes. You don't live in my house. You don't know how somebody else feels and it's the height of presumption and arrogance to say, I know exactly how you feel. No, you really don't. Uh, moralizing when you're supposed to be listening. Look, if somebody's sharing their heart with you, that's not a time for you to give them the three biblical reasons why they're a sinner and on their way to hell. You're not listening. You're not listening. You're moralizing. You're preaching. You're being judgmental. Uh, asking a direct question to satisfy your own curiosity. You're not listening. It's being an interviewer rather than being a listener. Giving advice, pitfall. Trying to fix the situation. Now it's okay to ask at some point, is there something I, let me just, let me just stop you for a moment because I'm really, I really do want to see if I can be helpful. That's different. So it's okay at some point to say, how can I help you with what you're sharing with me? Uh, cheap consolation. This is, a, this is a tough one. Saying something like, oh, that's not so bad. Well, you don't know how bad it is. How would you possibly know how bad it is? Uh, feelings, boy, write this down. I think it's very important. Feelings are facts and perception is reality. Feelings are facts. When you're listening, that person's feelings are facts. Now you may not understand why they feel that way. You may not agree with the way they feel. You may think that it's totally bogus the way that they feel, but it is reality to them, reality to them. And if you approach it any other way, you're just being arrogant. It's real reality. And what doesn't sound big to you, to you, because of their physical makeup, their mental makeup, their background, may be life shattering to them. Am I helping you at all? How many of you are learning something? I'm just trying to get some visual feedback. Let me tell you something about listening. It is backbreaking work. It's backbreaking. You will perspire. Learning, 
to listen because it's not a natural response. You want to talk about your prayer life? How much time talking do you spend and how much time listening do you spend? Arguing, pitfall, pitfall, disagreeing with the speaker, you're not going to get anywhere. You're just, you're just presenting a mountain that cannot be crossed. Timing is critical. Even if what you are going to share with someone whom you're listening to is relevant and right, timing is everything. Sometimes go to bed, bring it up tomorrow. It's not the right time. Do your best to never communicate when you're angry. Not, not with your children. Back off. Just, just back off. I'm, I'm telling you right now, I'm raising my hand. This is hard work. It's not easy. But the rewards are really life-changing. How much time do I have? I, got, I have two minutes. Ideas for effective listening include... At first, listening feels very artificial. You'll, you'll feel like a fake. You will. Because you'll start off nodding and you're in Ireland and you've got to bring yourself back, right? The true listener has to put their own mind and feelings in neutral. Suspend judgment and open yourself up to the presence of what can be someone's most painful experience to share. Focus on your physical response. It's a lot like playing defense in any sport. Uh, a shortstop, a cornerback, uh, a point guard, all have the same stance. What? I'm ready to receive. That's what listening is all about. I'm ready. I'm open. I'm vulnerable. I'm ready to move. I'm ready to receive. Be ready to receive from the speaker, even God. <gasps> Listen to him. Over and over again, the psalmist said, Selah, pause, be quiet, listen, maintain appropriate eye contact. There is a difference, however, between appropriate eye contact and being a stalker. Elder Murphy, Dr. Murphy, come, come. Please be aware of personal space. 
Are you uncomfortable? Be aware. Come on, back off a little bit. Elevator rule. Elevator rule, right? What do you do when you walk in an elevator? Why? Because your personal space is being invaded. Take a cue. Take a cue. If the whole time you're talking, somebody's backing up, it's, it's a good cue. You're invading their personal space. And personal space is different for different people, right? Okay. Verbal responses that show you're with the speaker. I'm with you. I understand. Sure. Right. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Bless the Lord. But they can also be a cover-up for not listening. Right? Be mindful of any cultural differences. Cultural differences between the speaker and yourself or you, you as the speaker and an individual. Be aware of those cultural... I... I made a really big faux pas once or twice or several times because I, I'm from Kentucky and I'm, I'm extremely comfortable around all races and ethnic groups of people. I'm, I'm just very comfortable, sometimes too comfortable because I'm not Asian. You thought I was going to say black, didn't you? I'm not black. I'm not. So for me to say, I understand, I, I don't understand. I couldn't possibly understand. But then neither could you understand me. Right? So once I, the most precious lady in our church at that time, I used to say, because we're a very ethnically diverse congregation, I, I used to say, I love salt and I love pepper. And a precious black lady, and sometimes we don't know what to call y'all. Black, African. I said African-American to a black person on television not long ago, and they said, I'm not from Africa. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> right? Here's a good clue. Where no offense is intended, none should be taken. We need to back up a little bit and just, just calm down. But I, I didn't know that to some folks that was offensive. And, and they came and shared that with me. And to my knowledge, I never, I never said it again. Because I don't want to say things. You know, that you're trying to, trying to include everyone or be inclusive. I don't want to do things that offend people. But we're all learning in that, aren't we? We're just all learning to live together. And, and the greatest thing is to treat everyone as you would desire to be treated and, and to learn to listen, to calm down and listen. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. 
No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon. Music